0: Welcome to the Sonogenetics podcast. This week we have a special episode. We recently held an event in London bringing together charities and patient registries to talk about the challenges and opportunities of doing research in genomics. One of the speakers at the event was Neil Bennett, the Director of Research at Action Duchenne based in London. He discussed setting up a patient registry, how they interact with patients to help recruit for clinical trials, and a lot more. We hope you enjoy. So I'm the head of research at Action Duchenne, and so part of that role includes looking, kind of overlooking the Duchenne registry in the UK. I guess some of you might know, but for those that don't, Duchenne's a, a rare condition. Uh, around about two and a half thousand people in the UK live with a condition. Uh, it's an x linked disorder, so it affects mainly boys and young men, and it's a muscle-wasting condition. So it typically presents in the clinic around about the age of four. Uh, when boys start to either miss motor milestones or have trouble uh, doing motor uh, function, uh, so things like jumping and hopping is often difficult. So normally diagnosed around the age of four, and the, the muscles in the legs are typically the first ones to start wasting, and so first of all boys kind of lose the ability to run. Uh, eventually they lose the ability to walk. Normally in their kind of early teens, somewhere between 10 and 12, boys will start to use a powered wheelchair. And then the muscle wasting carries on, so it affects the arms, so eventually boys won't be able to raise their arms above their head. And it also affects the heart and lung. So the the registry was set up uh, just over 15 years ago now. And no, that's not 15 years ago, is it? It's 13 years ago, that's right. And it was globally, it was one of the first registries. So it was set up... Uh, when treatment started to become a kind of realistic proposition, I think it's fair to say. So, so back in 2006, treatment for Duchenne was typically uh, corticosteroids, uh, still widely used now, uh, used in high dose for a long time, and they can basically help the, slow the muscle wasting down and help boys stay on their feet longer and also have some uh, beneficial effects on the heart and lungs, people think. So that's where the kind of clinical care was. So you were given steroids, but there were no treatments that targeted the kind of underlying genetic conditions. And Action Duchenne was formed in 2001 by a group of parents who really wanted to drive research forwards. And it was formed just as the kind of genetic medicine era, I guess, was taking off. So by 2005, people were testing uh, things like exon skipping. So that's a a treatment that can help cells, and in this case muscle cells, skip over mutated exons or skip exons to restore a reading frame to overcome a mutation. And it was clear if those things were going to be tested in clinical trial, it was really important to know about the patients in the UK and also know about their genetic mutations because all these trials are heavily, heavily based on genetics. So the registry was set up. Uh, It was actually the original system was built just by a parent who knew a bit about IT, It's probably similar to many, many systems across the rare disease world, I imagine. And so really from the early days, we had the support of the community and it was endorsed by professionals. And the way it was built was as a a patient registry. So it was a registry that held patient data, but it was built by a patient organization looked after by patients. It was really, patients were absolutely at the heart of it. Uh, right at the beginning a steering committee was was added and the steering committee still exists today in pretty much the same form it includes families it includes clinicians and geneticists and they oversee pretty much everything to do with the registry so if somebody requests data it comes through the steering committee who look at the request and say yes or no we should we should do it uh, and they also help us with you know trying to develop the registry and think what we need to be thinking And probably like any other registry, we're regulated by uh, various data regulations. And so so our model, it's voluntary, it's anonymous, in that nobody else can find out who you are. So the only people who can find out who you are are is the person that curates it. So if somebody comes to us to request data, we don't give out your name. It goes out as anonymous data or aggregate data, just averaging lots of things. It's a web-based system. It started off as a paper-based system. So patients and medics would fill in paper forms, send them in, and they'd get added to the registry. Uh, we've now advanced to the to a web-based system. And it's a patient input model. And again, that's changed over time. So we started off uh, asking clinicians to input the data for us. And what we found is that clinicians don't have an awful lot of time, and they'd much prefer to spend prefer to spend their time seeing patients and treating patients. So, so we actually moved from a clinic, clinician input model to a patient inputted model. So patients can they log into the website and update their data themselves. The third point is really important. So we moved from clinician to patient, but we didn't change the geneticist angle. So with all the clinical trials, genetic data is absolutely vital. And it was felt it wasn't fair for patients to be asked to input that because lots of the reports that patients get they're not easy to understand and so we still to this day have genetic mutations validated by geneticists so when a patient's diagnosed they they phone us up or go on the website to register they fill in a medical release form for their genetic data and then we talk to their geneticist who actually logs in and adds the genetic data themselves so the patient doesn't have to log genetic data absolutely crucial for us this is the big question. What do you collect in a registry? So, so we were quite lucky. Uh, in Duchenne, there's a global federation of registries uh, run by an organization called MD, And they have a kind of model data set for Duchenne. And so when the registry was created, we took the decision that we would always collect their model data set. We actually collect more than their model data set. But I mean, you, you can probably guess what's in it. So it's things like demographic information, Medical interventions, so things like are you taking steroids? Uh, Nowadays are you taking a kind of genetic treatment because there are treatments now licensed and in use in the NHS? Uh, Functional measures, so can you still stand, do you use a wheelchair? Very, very basic questions that patients can answer. We do ask some slightly more complex functional questions like uh, lung function questions, what's your, or heart fracture heart ejection fraction questions which most patients don't answer but they're there if they want to and the key thing with all of this is that actually what we're collecting is heavily heavily based on trial inclusion criteria so the registry is really or was really built to support clinical trials so originally it was built to drive recruitment to those trials and so what we collect is the data you need to know if you're eligible to take part in a trial It was built alongside the kind of early original trials, as I mentioned, and over time things have gradually changed. So, as the number of trials has increased, the inclusion criteria has kind of tightened, but also patients are becoming more aware of trials, and so clinics often ask you very early in your Duchenne journey, "Do you want to take part in a trial?" And if so, you can be added to the clinic list as well. So. So nowadays, the registry is actually mostly concerned with doing feasibility studies. So we'll get approached by a farmer who might say, uh, we've got a a drug that we'd like to test in trial. Uh, We're going to have this many sites in the UK with this many places. Do you think we'll find enough participants for those places? And basically, by answering those questions, if they say we're thinking about having 10 places and we can go back to them and say, there's easily 20 or 30 people that would be interested in that trial. We can kind of help bring trials to the UK so we can increase the number of trials. Um, I said it's mostly concerned with that. Actually, in the last month, we've helped recruit to three clinical trials. So, So it's not like we've totally switched. It's just that that's our focus, but we can still drive recruitment. So a company can come to us and say, or in fact, a clinician can come to us and say, we've got this many places we need people aged between four and seven with this mutation who can still walk and who are taking steroids. And we can actually say, yeah, send us some information. We can email that information to that exact group of patients and say, you might be interested in this. We think you're eligible. Talk to your clinician. So it's a really, really powerful tool. And we also help researchers. So that's kind of clinical trial aspect. We do lots of... uh, Prevalence studies, natural history type information. We can send surveys to targeted audiences. So if somebody's looking at nutrition, we hold information on dietary supplements that people take. So we can say, well, we can send it out to 100 people. Uh, we can identify participants and help researchers and patients kind of interact uh, through targeted emails and the like. So this is the, the kind of big slide. So Registries are are challenging, so there's lots of different registry models, and because we're not based in clinic, one of our big ones is to maintain engagement with the participants in the registry, so we're totally reliant on patients and families logging in to update their data, which is challenging. Uh, It's also really challenging to collect any kind of medical data that might need certifying, the only way to do that for us is to go back to the clinician and get them to actually certify the data. And so, I mean, the way we've done that over the past, I think she may even have been there since the start, is to have a dedicated registry curator. And so Angela's our curator. She serves as the kind of first point of contact. So when families are first diagnosed, they're often told about the registry in that first appointment. So Angela gets a phone call generally fairly soon afterwards. She's really well known in the community. And what what it means is when she phones people up, she'll phone them up to ask them to update their data. Instead of it being kind of like a a call centre sales pitch, if you like. It, it's basically a catch-up between friends. So, yeah, we, we have an annual conference and everybody knows Angela. There'll be 500 people who all talk to her really early on. And so, so that's actually worked really well for us. The challenge of genomic data is one we're thinking about. Uh, so Duchenne is caused by mutations in a single gene called dystrophin gene. Uh, it's the biggest gene in humans. Uh... And there's lots and lots of different types of mutations. What's also becoming clear, though, is that there's lots of modifying genes. So the first one has been reported, and it sounds like there's going to be more. Uh, Not surprising for a disease that has kind of lots and lots of different arms. So the immune system's involved, the muscles involved, the brain can be involved. And that's kind of why we're starting to think now that actually we have to start thinking about collecting, or at least being able to, to link our data to genomic data. And I think the challenges we've faced <clears throat> so far are very much kind of interaction challenges, so keeping people on board, keeping the data up to date. Genomics presents a whole new set of challenges, like technical challenges, like in 2006 you wouldn't even have thought about. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. And I think that's the end of my slides, so I'll happily answer questions. And yeah. Thank you for listening, and as always, you can send any feedback you have to podcast at sonogenetics.com. If you're interested in joining our next event, make sure to follow us on social media, and if you want to see videos from some of the other speakers of the event or a recap of the event, you can visit our blog at sonogenetics.com slash blog. Thanks, and see you next time.